Welcome friends, James Corbett here, CorbettReport.com. Today is the 5th of May, 2014, and today we are going to be covering a very important uh, event and a series of events that's been happening recently in China. It's a, a geopolitical issue and one that a lot of people in the audience probably will not be very familiar with. So in order to get a better grasp on what's happening, today we're joined on the line by Christoph German of The New Great Game, The New Great Game Roundup, um, which is a blog at christophgehrman.blogspot.com, which of course will be linked in the show notes. He also contributes the new Great Game Roundup to boilingfrogspost.com. He's also a previous guest on this podcast. So, Christoph, it's great to have you on the program again. Thank you for joining us today. Great to be here, James. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Well, as I say, I want to talk about a very important geopolitical subject when it comes to Chinese politics. And again, one that probably a lot of the audience won't, won't be familiar with. And we're going to be talking about Xinjiang, the Xinjiang Autonomous Region, a northwestern uh, province of China that borders some very strategic uh, areas and, of course, shares a, a 2,800 kilometers worth of border with Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, and Tajikistan, and is part of something called the New Silk Road, which is extremely important for China and its access to resources from the, the Central Asia area. Let's talk about Xinjiang, and uh, first of all, let's situate it in its political context. Why is Xinjiang an important area for China? Okay, uh, Xinjiang is the largest Chinese administrative uh, division. It has abundant oil reserves and it's uh, China's largest natural gas pr producing region. It's located at a strategically important uh, place, bordering the Central Asian republics, but also bordering Afghanistan and Pakistan. And uh, Beijing is trying to... Um, transform the republic into the energy hub of China. Therefore, the um, stability of uh, Xinjiang is very important to the Chinese authorities. That's right. And uh, Xi Jinping specifically has talked about the creation of the, the new Silk Road. Tell us about that, that policy and how that factors into this. Yes, of course. Uh, the Chinese president, Xi Jinping, um, traveled last year to the Otto Oil to almost all Central Asian republics during his uh, Central Asia tour, which has received a lot of attention, and he secured one important uh, deal after another, striking gas deals with Turkmenistan, for example, and um, securing new pipelines for the region, which will be important for China's economy in the, in the uh, coming years for the development of China. And a lot of these pipelines are, of course, connected to China via Xinjiang. That's right. And wouldn't you know it, amazingly enough, in this highly sensitive area, there's a there's an independence movement uh, that in involves some extremist Islamic radicals who um, have taken to, well, blowing things up recently. Um, lo and behold, what a surprise. Well, let's talk about this East Turkestan independence movement. What is what is this? Where does it come from? And uh, And who's really behind it? Uh, the East Turkestan independence movement consists of several different groups and organizations. We have, for example, the political organizations like the World Uyghur Congress, and then you have also terrorist organizations like the East Turkestan independence movement. And to give a short answer, you could say the United States and its allies are the, the leading powers behind this independence movement. The World Uyghur Congress, for example, is funded by the National Endowment for Democracy. It's based in uh, Germany, in Munich, 
in very close proximity to the um, headquarters of the German intelligence agency, the Bundesnachrichtendienst. And um, it's working closely with, for example, the um, broadcasting service of the, of the CIA, as you could call it, uh, Radio Free Liberty, um, Radio, Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, which was also based in Munich until the end of the Cold War and has since moved on to Prague. And the uh, um, spokesman of the World Uyghur Congress, uh, Dilksad Raksid, I think is pronounced, uh, is based in Sweden, and he has um, received a lot of criticism for his coverage of the latest event in, um, in China, the latest terrorist attack. And we can go into that a bit later. That's right. And in fact, you do go into that in, in some degree of detail in your most recent New Great Game Roundup for May 4th, 2014. So, of course, we'll link to that in the show notes. But let's let's talk about the, the Uyghur um, people in general. Uh, obviously, this is something that I think has different layers of propaganda and reality and what's happening on the surface and what's happening underneath. Let's talk about that surface level reality. Who are the Uyghurs and why do they want independence from Beijing? Um, the Uyghurs of uh, Turkic minority in, um, in Xinjiang, and they we could say they are repressed by the Chinese authorities. The Chinese are trying to limit their um, their influence in the region, and are trying to um, to replace them in, in important positions with Han Chinese, and uh, in order to in, ensure the stability of the region. And of course, the Uyghurs are are trying to um, get their voice out. And this is, um, and you could say it, um, the powers, the outside powers are trying to manipulate them and use them for their own advantage against the Chinese authorities. And a lot of Uyghurs are, of course, aware of this and they don't want any part of this and any part of the East Turkestan independence movement. A lot of them don't even know the, the figures which are um, often portrayed in the media as the representatives of the Uyghur population like, for example, the spokesman of the World Uyghur Congress and, and like. That's right. And, and there's also in, uh, is it in the United States, there's a, an, a government in exile for the East Turkey? Yeah, Turkey? yes, of course. Let's talk a little bit about uh, that. And, and I think in 2004 or 2005, the, um, the East Turkestan government in exile was elected, if you want to call it that, in the United States State Department. There's even a, there was a little press conference and pictures taken with, for example, Anwar Yusuf Turani. Anwar Yusuf Turani is now the acting prime um, prime minister of the East Turkestan uh, government in exile. So you have a puppet prime minister already elected, and he was of course one of the figures which were targeted by the FBI and the Gladio B counterintelligence investigations which means that he was involved in financing terrorism, drug, uh, drug trafficking, and the like in the region. And, ha and he has been living in the United States for, for years. With complete, not only complete impunity, but also being, you know, yeah, getting photo opportunities with the State Department and the like. So I think we and know... And he's, of course, also often uh, cited in the media when it comes to terrorist attacks in, uh, in China and Xinjiang. And the media is asking on his opinion on the matter, which is, of course, completely ridiculous. Exactly right. And so, so okay, so we, we have the, the Uyghur minority in uh, the Xinjiang region who are, ter uh, 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 who are Islamic, uh, as opposed to the Han Chinese ethnic majority who are, of course, the, the governing um, 
uh, ethnicity in, in China and, and Buddhist and what have you. And uh, so there is um, oppression from Beijing, but there is this East Turkestan Islamic movement that uses that as a basis for its campaign to try to create this East Turkestan region, slice that out from Xinjiang. And so we have this image of the World Uyghur Congress and the uh, government in exile and these other foreign-funded, foreign-backed, foreign-based um, organizations that are the representatives for this in the Western media, certainly. Let's talk a little bit. Uh, you mentioned Dil Dilksat Raksit, who is uh, a part, again, Sweden-based representative of this German-based organization, which is supposedly the mouthpiece for the Uyghurs in the East Turkestan Islamic movement. Let's talk about this, this person and who he really is and what, what he says about these attacks. He's probably the most quoted person when it comes to any incident in Xinjiang which involves the Uyghur minority. Um, I mentioned earlier the Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty, a CIA propaganda organ, and there's also the Radio Free Asia, which is the equivalent for, for the Uyghurs, you could call it. And they report a lot of their reports are a lot of um, often sourced on uh, the World Uyghur Congress and the statements by Dilksad Raksit. But he's also cited by all mainstream media. If you look at Reuters or AP, doesn't matter. Almost all reports about um, terrorist attacks in in China in Xinjiang are, um, have the same have the same structure. They, they, they start by mentioning the attack and what happened, then they try to frame it within a, a certain context which which seems, uh, which tries to paint the, to portray the attacks as inevitable consequences of government repression. And then they have this guy, Dilksad Raksit, who, who confirms this by bringing his expertise about the subject, although he's based in Sweden and he usually doesn't even know what happened in Xinjiang earlier today when he's asked. And um, after the latest terrorist attack in Rumchi, the capital of um, Xinjiang, he talked to Reuters within hours of the attack before any details had become known out of China. And he told them basically, yes, this was the consequence of government repression and such incidents could happen again at any time. That was his statement and that was picked up by the Chinese media and they were very outraged about this statement. Well, as we've been alluding to, there have been a number of attacks in recent months specifically that have been pinned on the ETIM, the East Turkestan Islamic Movement, and uh, and the Beijing government has been pointing to this as a growing phenomenon. Let's talk about some of the attacks that have been blamed on this movement and, and where and when they took place. Um, last year, we had, had an attack in Tiananmen Square in the heart of Beijing, which was... Um, widely pub, um, publicized in the media and it was the first attack which indicated um, a trend in tactics called for the Uyghur separatists because it targeted civilians and before the Uyghurs had mostly targeted uh, government symbols like police stations or public offices and there was a crash at Tiananmen Square when uh, three Uyghurs drove with their truck uh, through a crowd at Tiananmen Square and killed a few people and injured many more. The Chinese government said it was an attack by the East Turkestan independence movement and they based their claim on a found flag or yeah, something like that, which had the symbols of the East Turkestan independence movement. We have to take these claims with a grain of salt and don't know if it's accurate. 
And um, they have done this again after the Kunming terrorist attack, which was a very large attack um, on, May, on March 1st this year, when eight men and women attacked passengers at Kunming railway station in um, the Yunnan province. And 33 people died, including four of the perpetrators, and more than 140 were injured. And within hours after the attack, Chinese media blamed the Uyghur terrorists for the massacre. And uh, police found allegedly uh, an East Turkestan independence movement flag at the scene, or East Turkestan um, terrorist group flag at the scene. But it's not clear if there's any connection between the perpetrators of these attacks in Kunming and Tiananmen Square and the East Turkestan uh, independence movement or the terrorist groups which fight for the independence of East Turkestan. It's basically only a, a way to, to frame it as that these attacks are coming from the same group. But, it's, but, you, could, um, but you could argue that it's more that these attacks are all perpetrated by Uyghurs, which try to, um, to fight against the government by, by attacking civilians lately. Right. And uh, I understand that recently Xi Jinping was just in Shenzhen, Xinjiang, and that coincided or actually just preceded an attack that just took place there. Yes. On April 27, um, Xi Jinping started his four-day trip in Xinjiang, uh, where he inspected the local police units and um, watched the military exercise and visited schools and the like. And his uh, visit was aimed at um, ensuring um, that the government is, um, is focusing on the Xinjiang problem and is trying its best to um, ensure stability in the region. And Xi, Xi Jinping wrote um, that he will fight all terrorists in the region and that um, the, the government will step up its efforts to ensure stability. They have... Um, they have an, had announced a new strategy, anti-terror strategy, which focused more on ensuring uh, economic development and less on the military crackdown, which they had uh, preferred before. But now, after the latest incident, it's of course it remains to be seen if they will implement this or if they will go with the military crackdown. Now, now back to the issue of assigning um, responsibility for these attacks. Again, you point out that uh, the, the Tiananmen Square attack and uh, the Kunming attack were both um, dependent on the discovery of literally flags, ETIM flags, that, that designated that these were where the attacks are coming from. Speaking of the concept of false flag, I suppose we'd have to take it for what, what, what it's worth with that type of uh, attribution. And... Interestingly, it seems the United States has picked up on that, and apparently they issued a country terrorism report last year that actually um, cast doubts on Beijing's uh, ability to actually assign these attacks to ETIM. Uh, talk a little bit about that issue and uh, the, the sort of war of words that Beijing and the U.S. are having over this. I think the report came out just after the attack or just before the attack, and it was, of course... Um, based on the reports, on the mainstream media reports, which based their, uh, based their reports on the World Uyghur Congress and the like. And so they can say, well, you don't have any evidence for this. Um, all these attacks are just consequence of government repression. And the, the evidence you have for, um, for linking them to the East Turkestan Islamic movement is very weak. And it's of that is, of course, true that the evidence for linking them to this particular terrorist group is very weak. But nevertheless, 
These are, of course, terrorist attacks which are perpetrated by, by uh, Uyghur separatists. And to, um, to, to accuse the uh, Chinese government of, um, of deliberately constructing uh, um, a case against the Uyghurs is uh, pretty ridiculous, especially coming from the United States. Exactly. This, of course, being the uh, the empire that claims that the, uh, the passports of the 9-11 hijackers <laughs> magically floated down and landed in the police's lap on, on September 11th, etc. So, I, I again, yeah, pot, meat, kettle. Um, all right. Well, let's then let's talk about the, the nature of these attacks. Um, I, I, they, they do seem to be in line with a rather ragtag band of, of uh, terrorists who don't seem to be receiving much support in, in terms of uh, technical capabilities. I mean, we're talking about driving a truck into a crowd of people or a big knife attack. I mean, we're not talking about spectacular explosions or, or things of that sort. Um, what are the capabilities of this ETIM? And if they are receiving report uh, support um, overtly or, or at least uh, ostensibly from, from NATO, um, wouldn't we be expecting to see more kind of spectacular Al-Qaeda-style attacks? Yeah, I think it's very difficult to um, to support the Uyghurs in Xinjiang with with weapons, especially um, um, guns and the like and explosives. They usually use knives um, to stage to um, conduct these attacks. I think the East Turkestan Islamic movement is uh, based in Pakistan. We had, for example, a short interview with the leader of the East Turkestan Islamic movement. Um, shortly after the Kunming terrorist attack and he didn't mention the attack and didn't uh, um, declare responsibility for it but he said that it was his holy duty to fight the Chinese. And a lot of these um, Islamic movements, not just East Turkestan but also uh, other terrorist groups like the Islamic movement of Uzbekistan and other groups which operate in the region are of course closely linked to the Pakistani intelligence service which is um, used by, by the United States and by the CIA to control a lot of these groups in the region. And I would say if, if there were, was any support for these, for these groups, it would probably be done by the Pakistani intelligence services, the two, um, not just the ISI, but also the intelligence bureau. Well, let's let's bring this back to the geo strategy of this. Um, given that this is a uh, a movement that is at the very least receiving sort of propagandistic support, certainly from these foreign organizations um, that are given plenty of time in the Western media, um, there there clearly seems to be an attempt to foment or at least encourage this type of activity in Xinjiang, specifically for the purpose that we talked about earlier of destabilizing a very important region of uh, of China. Do you think the end game in this is to actually establish East Turkestan, or is it merely enough to create this this sort of tension in the region that uh, that helps to destabilize it and and make it difficult for China to to uh, effectively use Xinjiang for its uh, economic purposes? I think for now, um, destabilizing the area is the primary objective. Otherwise, there would be more support for the terrorists in uh, Xinjiang, like we see in Syria, for example or we saw in Chechnya or in the Balkans in the 1990s. Um, but I think it was, um, as far um, as up until this point, it hasn't achieved anything. They have attacked uh, a few railway stations, uh, especially transport terminals and the like. 
but they haven't really targeted any pipelines and the energy continues flowing into China. And it remains to be seen if they will step up their efforts and actually attack any infrastructure and actually damage um, that or if they will stage these um, attacks against civilians and try to um, attract international attention. There was a report uh, a few weeks ago or a few days ago about a new pipeline which is being it's supposed to be built uh, through Xinjiang, an oil pipeline uh, between India and Russia. And it, this would be, of course, a, a, um, a target for these attacks. Because if this pipeline is being built, it would uh, strengthen India's relations with uh, China and Russia and would uh, remove India from um, the United States' sphere of influence. But to be clear, so far we've only seen attacks targeting, as you say, government buildings and or now moving into railway stations and, and targets of that sort. We haven't seen specifically economic targets like pipelines yet, have we? Yes, that's correct. All right, so it's certainly something that's still in play, and now Xi Jinping obviously is coming out to, to denounce these attacks and to talk about uh, the, obviously having to eradicate ETIM. What can we expect from Beijing as a response to this, and what have we heard so far uh, from Xi Jinping about these attacks? The talk from uh, Beijing has always very, very uh, has been very tough after these attacks, but there haven't been uh, any really hard uh, measures, I would say, especially um, lately they have um, preferred this new anti-terror strategy focusing on economic um, development. And they have um, focused on containing the threat of uh, religious extremism in the region. They called it uh, potential hazards to society. And um, they are now running a program um, rewarding whistleblowers who report on these activities, which include all kinds of uh, things, included uh, growing beards and uh, spreading false information to topple the authorities and the like. But I think the, the military crackdown was probably um, harder in a few years ago when there were huge riots in Xinjiang in 2009. But in recent years, they have preferred to, um, to use a more a soft approach, if you would call it that. that. That's puzzling, especially because the attacks seem to be increasing in nature and, and frequency. So why, why are they easing off at this point? I think they, they hope to achieve more stability by, um, by removing, um, by ensuring um, economic development and removing the, um, the motivation for the people to, um, to participate in, this, in these attacks. If they have a job, if they have um, a good income, they will not try to fight for the Turkestan in the uh, Islamic movement and the like. I think that's the reasoning from uh, Beijing. Well, to um, impartial outside observers, it's quite obvious what is happening with things like w the World Uyghur Congress in Germany and the exile in government um, in Washington. I mean, it's quite obvious what's happening there, but um, I assume there has not been any formal accusations or anything put out there by Beijing um, uh, on that issue, on the issue of Western involvement. Correct me if I'm wrong. Well, they mention um, foreign forces, foreign separatist forces or foreign... Um Foreign um, um, support for the, for these um, ex extremist and terrorist attacks, 
but they don't mention, of course, the countries involved. They target especially the World Uyghur Congress, which is designated as a terrorist organization by Beijing, but they have never mentioned any any countries, any governments which stand behind the East Turkestan independence movement. Speaking of designation of terrorist groups, I understand the ETIM is not designated as a terrorist group by the United States. No, that's correct. The ETIM is not on the list. Very interesting, and obviously some politics at play there. And of course, that contributes to Beijing's frustration with the United States and its hypocrisy with its war on terror, as it gets to declare anyone it wants as terrorists, anyone it doesn't want as not terrorists. So, um, yeah, very interesting how this plays out. Well, this is obviously a developing story, There's, um, and it seems to be gaining some momentum now. As I say, we, we seem to be hearing about these attacks more frequently, and they seem to be making more headlines. For people who are interested in keeping up to date with this, obviously, of course, we'll recommend the new Great Game Roundup where you are keeping uh, track of this. But what sources of information do you look for or uh, do you rely on to, to find out more about this issue? Um, that depends. I'm looking at local media reports, but I also look at the, um, the Soros-funded websites, for example, uh, Eurasianet, which um, publishes some very good information, but of course, with a a special agenda, and um, and uh, um, Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty uh, reports are also very useful because you get to see what they are trying, what message they are trying to get out. Exactly right, and to be clear, that is State Department funded um, propaganda, basically, right? Okay. Yes. Yes, exactly. Well, it is good to keep an eye on all of the propaganda that's coming out so that we understand what is happening, um, generally speaking, and what they want us to believe as well. Again, a very important topic, and I hope that uh, people out there in the crowd are keeping an eye on this, because as the Asia-Pacific pivot continues to happen, and as China just generally um, becomes more of a, uh, a boogeyman for the United States and, and the NATO empire, I think it's important that we keep track of these internal issues. So I'm glad that you're there doing that job. Once again, ChristophGerman.blogspot.com and of course a contributor to BoilingFrogsPost.com Christoph, thank you again for your time today Thanks for having me